Hail and well met. Welcome back to another episode of Self-Evident. I am Melissa and I am joined by Jenna. And today we have a very special guest. We are welcoming Dr. Stephen Castle into the studio. And today is going to be the start of a three-part series with Dr. Castle. In the first part of this series, we are going to be discussing his childhood life, how he came to faith in Christ. And his journey is one that is very powerful. And his testimony is truly amazing to listen to. So we hope you enjoy. We have in our studio Dr. Stephen Castle. He gained national headlines in 2020 when he brought a court case saying that the government does not have a right to declare the church unnecessary and that the shutdowns are unconstitutional and in fact they have very dire consequences for the people of God. So Pastor Castle, before we started, you were sharing some wonderful history in your life. Could you just tell us about your childhood, how you came to faith in Christ, and how you came to plant this church that gained such amazing headlines? (laughs) Well, uh, first of all, I'm honored to be here, uh, IFI, and especially what you guys are doing is so necessary and so beneficial for our land. So it is a huge honor for me to be here, especially with you two. Um, I I have a deep, deep desire to impact the next generation coming. God thinks generationally, and he thinks nationally. And the problem with most of the church today is that we think individually, yeah. and we think about today. So I'm, I'm really excited to be here. So um, a lot of my passion and uh, deep reverence for the church, the bride, is because I grew up in an environment that was contrary to what the scriptural definition of what church is supposed to be, the Greek word ekklesia. And uh, I I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a minister. I, uh, not not to make me weird or or I don't know what your audience (laughs) feels uh, about denominational or spiritual aspects, but at two years old, I was laying hands on the sick and they were recovering. Like I was born again and baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit when I was five years old. And it was a radical encounter. It happened at the YMCA in Freeport, Illinois. And everybody that was there literally can still recall to this day that when I came out of the water, the entire room filled with the glory of God. There was sparkles in the air. You could feel it. You could smell it. And I was just giving my heart and my life to God. So I knew like from the get-go, that there was going to be something that I was called to do, purpose to do. And so the church has literally been in my blood from the day I drew breath. And I've seen it done terribly. My dad, um, not because he's a a bad person. I love my dad. I have incredible amounts of honor for my father. And we have a great relationship to this day. But he got got sucked into... Um, some erroneous doctrine, and and eventually we were in a cult. And so I spent basically from the age of about 8 to 13 in a cult. And so I knew the authentic version of meeting Jesus and what it's supposed to be like to be a part of the community. Like the whole New Testament is built around these concepts. But then I also know the pain, the the deep, deep pain of having that done wrong and experiencing my in my own eyes and my own heart the pain of of spiritual uh 
being being maligned, uh, being abused, being having that legalistic weight tied around your neck, um, that millstone. And as a young person, you know, and Jesus said, you know, suffer the young people to come to me. And what happens is doing ecclesia wrong will stop the young people from having a radical encounter with Jesus. May I ask what what made this a cult? Was it legalism? Uh, just like just like any other uh, false doctrine or cult, it it started with some really with some really good intentions. The the founder of it was a Jamaican man who had a radical encounter with God and seen some incredible stuff. And so his his intentions were to kind of right some wrongs that were being done in what I call American churchianity. It's a it's a, it's a, a very phrase that I've term. coined. Yeah, yeah, cuz we don't it's not Christianity, it's churchianity. And so They've seen some of the failures and faults in American churchianity, and so this guy's intentions were to kind of fix it. The problem is, just like every denomination, basically what they do is they come along and they say, oh, we're in a ditch. You know, that Catholicism is in a ditch. Well, let's fix it. Let's be Protestants, and we'll get out of the ditch. The problem is, is that just like when you're on the road and you're in a ditch, you likely overcorrect. Mm-hmm. And so you go from one ditch to the other ditch, and a ditch is a ditch. It's going to destroy your car. It will stop you from getting to your destination if you're in a ditch. And we don't know how to honestly do the balance very well. And so what happened was this guy came in, and I believe that he had he had proper intentions. I even believe that he was probably called by God to do some of the stuff he did. But we went from a ditch to a ditch. We went from the... It doesn't matter, you know, do Christianity your way. Uh, you know, this was back in, in like the 70s. And in the 70s, we're still on the on the backside of like the sexual revolutions. And it hit the church and stuff like that. And so there was a, there was a lot of this, you know, grace for everybody, free grace and, and live how you want to live and going on in American churchianity. And so this guy came in and he and his intentions were to get it back in the biblical model. But it went the other way. And there was tons and tons of legalism. It also had a, a massive amount of um, hellfire damnation styled messages. Uh, God. So it kind of countered the love, how yep, you want to yep, love and yep, everything. Yep. The, the hippie free love movement that was in the church was being countered by, hey, there's a requirement for holiness, but the problem is it went into the other ditch. Yeah. And, then, and so there was condemnation and shame oh, wow. and God was a wrathful God, you know, sinners in the hand of an angry God. Yeah. And, and so I grew up basically, as soon as we got into this, this movement, I grew up, um, I spent those five years, those eight years of my life basically feeling that I was unqualified, disqualified, and not loved by God. Wow. And, and scripturally proven to be so. So I, I, when you, it's one thing to abuse a kid, you know, to abuse a kid, you're a terrible person. You're a terrible person. I've got zero time for anybody that abuses a kid physically, sexually, verbally. I have gotten in more than my fair share of altercations in a Walmart because I'll see parents doing stuff to kids and I, I just can't walk by. I'm that guy. I am going to engage if I see evil. And it's one thing to abuse a kid physically. It is a whole nother thing to abuse a kid spiritually because the problem is if you abuse a kid physically, he can find redemption in the heart of God, in the arms of a loving heavenly father. But when you abuse a kid in the name of the father, 
where can they find redemption? Yeah. And that's honestly what's one of the problems in the church today is that we're maligning the character and the nature of God. And so then who can people run to for truth? You've just lied to them. You've hurt them. You've abused them in the name of God. Where can they go? Yeah, you've tarnished the one lifeline. There's only one place to get redemption, and you've turned him into the one that's creating the abuse. Wow. You're damned. And I, I grew up in that. And so I, had, I, I went from kind of one really healthy, when I was really young, you know, five years old, having this massive, healthy uh, passion for, for Jesus and for his church and for his people to eventually having that stolen from me, taken from me through lies and manipulation. And again, I, anytime I do this, I just, I always want to make clear, like my dad eventually got out of it. Um, it, it cost a lot. My parents got divorced when I was 13. And so I, me and my little brother went to live with my now single mom. And so then we had to transverse that mess, you know, mom trying to figure out how to raise two boys, God bless her. And, uh, us trying to navigate our own lives. And we kind of went into a, uh, into a situation where we didn't have a whole lot of, uh, of guidance because mom was just trying to figure out how to keep food on the table. And so, uh, me and my little brother, after coming out of this incredible dark spiritual environment, we just decided to go the other way. And I remember literally being 13 years old, sitting in my bedroom in a duplex in Forreston, Illinois. And I pointed my finger to God. I said, look, you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. You're going to kill me anyway. I know you're going to kill me. Nobody's ever lived good enough for you to not want to kill them. This, this was my doctrine, and I'm sorry, but it was. And I said, I'm going to sin. I'm going to miss it. There's no way around it. I tried it the other way. I'm just, I'm still condemned. So you leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. And I, and I literally, my life motto was the Bon Jovi song, which I know that might be, uh, that might be a little bit outside of your generational context, but there was a Bon Jovi song that said that he's going to go down in a blaze of glory. And that was me. I was like, you know what? I served God as hard as I knew how to do, and the end result was I just feel shamed and con- condemned, and I'm just never going to be good enough. And so I'm going the other way, and I did. I spent from from 13 to 20 uh, sowing my wild oats and living like a hellion, almost to the point where I had to actually back off because I almost killed myself. I had, I had, I was messing with gangs, and I had terrible, terrible circumstances. I, Woke up in ditches, just you know, bleeding and and uh, pulverized from doing stupid stuff. Standing on the corner and in Naperville gangbanging, and and this is some kid from Fortin. So, I I actually had to pull back. And so when I was in the process of pulling back, I met. Uh, actually, I started dating Kay, my now wife of twenty eight and a half years, and. Kay and I started to build a life together, and I realized that I probably didn't want to die as fast as I thought I did. And so I started to try to figure out how to right the ship. And I, I at this point, I, would, I had been so ignorant that I really didn't know what was up and what was down. And this is why I have a ton of empathy and compassion for the young generation, because I get it. I know why people can get to the place where they believe that men can be pregnant. You, you'd say that to a person with a, with 
normal basic cognitive processes that men can get pregnant they would they would laugh you out you go say that in another country they would laugh you off their borders but you can actually train people to believe anything if you do it well enough and i was that guy i was trained to believe stupid stuff ignorant stuff lies and deception about who god was and what society was like and and really how you're supposed to live to be happy and and um i followed the music videos you know mtv was a big deal in our generation and this is how you're you're happy you live this way and you act this way and you talk this way walk this way <laughs> and that that was how you were supposed to do life and so i was trying to figure out how to unnavigate all of the the horrendous situations that i put myself in and thank god for Kay. She was, she was a pretty balanced person, but neither of us really had a whole lot of God going on. Yeah. So we we're just a couple of kids living together. And I, because I authentically loved her is the only, the only girl in my life that I really, truly ever loved. And we're trying to figure out how to do life. And we really don't have the, the compass, the guidance system of, of God or the scriptures or anything like that, even though all that stuff was still in my heart somewhere. Um, she grew up relatively un, unchurched, and so we're just trying to figure out life. Yeah. And in the course of this, my mom, God bless her, uh, she always had a relationship with Jesus, even though the cult kind of messed all that up. But yeah. she'd always just love Jesus. She's just one of those crazy people that no matter what was going on, she just loved Jesus. Her faith wasn't shaken. Yeah, my mom is just an amazing person. And so I'd go over there and do laundry. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd go over and do laundry, she'd talk to me about Jesus. And wow. it was so, it was like gouge my eyes out. Like, Mom, <laughs> I tried that. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Do you want me to tell you about the abuse? Mm. Do you want me to remind you what this Jesus dude? And she's like, honey, I don't know what to tell you. But the, the truth is, is that that wasn't Jesus. That was wrong version. I don't, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know. But the real Jesus is the one I love. And he's really good. I'm like, okay, well, you have your Jesus. And I'm going to keep gay and my, yeah. and my awesome, super cool lifestyle. So I do laundry and she just wear me out, wear me out. Finally, I just, just in one of those terrible, ungodly, wretched moments of my life, I finally one time just screamed at her. I'm like, shut up. And I cussed her out. I'm like, shut up. I don't want to hear nothing else about this Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus did. And I railed her. And I told her about all the terrible things. And my mom's crying. I was a terrible person in that moment. And I realized, you know, what I had done to her. And she's, she, through tears, she said, Stephen, she calls me Stephen, Stephen, I'm sorry that all this stuff happened to you. But all I can tell you is that the real Jesus is not what you experienced. It's not all that stuff that you went through. And I said, I'm sorry, and I completely loaded down because I'm not that guy. I love my mom. I'm a, I, even when I was a bad guy, I still love my mom. Yeah. And I'm like, Mom, I'm sorry. Like, I, I didn't mean to do that. She's like, if you'll listen to this one tape set, <laughs> this will tell you how old I am. If you'll listen to this one tape set, I'll leave you alone. I won't talk to you about Jesus no more. I said, so you're telling me the deal is I listen to this tape set and you don't ever beat me down with this Jesus stuff and I can still come over here and do my laundry. Yep, honey, that's that's the way it'll go. So I took the tape set and I threw it in the passenger's seat of my 1978 Olds Delta 88 nice. that I called Thelma. And so me and Thelma would drive around and that tape set would bounce in my passenger seat and I'd look mm-hmm. over at it every once in a while. And I'm like, man, I got to go do laundry. 
and I know I'm going to have to listen to it. That was the deal. And so then I came up with my super awesome, amazing, intelligent Steve Castle plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to listen to the first five minutes of all six tapes. Brilliant. And then I not lying to my mom when I say, hey, mom, I listened to all the tapes. Ha ha. I had it all figured out. (laughs) So I put the first tape in. And I'm immediate. I literally start laughing because I hear the twangiest, southernest, you know, and I'm a Yankee, you know, northern (laughs) Illinois, born and raised, you know, pot roast and potatoes and a crock pot. I mean, that's that's who I am. And I hear this twangy southern Texan, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so easy. I, there, I am not even going to be able to suffer through this guy for 10 minutes, so I'm going to be okay. And he, this guy immediately started talking about the God of the Bible, who was a covenant God. Now, this was a deal for me. This is the reason I got into gangs, is because the church was not covenant people. families were not covenant people. The only people I found that were covenant people were gangs, blood in, blood out. This is why I was involved because I wanted covenant people in my life. When we were kids, we moved. I went to 13 different schools before the ninth grade. Wow. I didn't have covenant people in my life. I wanted people that I knew were going to get my back, that were going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. What I wanted was church, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was that. And so... When he started talking about covenant, I immediately was like, wait a minute. This isn't just some sermon. This isn't just some preacher. And this guy had me hooked because I had never realized in the Bible that God was a covenant God. I didn't even really recognize that this was the word that I was looking for. And so he talked about the hased of God, the Hebrew word for the covenant love of God. And I'm like, this is not in the Bible. You know, when I was a kid, I read the Bible. I've read the Bible. I've lost track of the number of times and the number of versions of the Bible that I read. I'm a huge Bible guy. And I'm like, these verses that this southern preacher, this hillbilly redneck, these verses aren't even in the Bible. I've read the whole Bible all the way through. King James and everything, buddy. And so I went home and I went to my girlfriend. Now, you got to have to picture this. We're a couple of kids living together. Mm Mm-hmm. We're not godly in any way, and I'm not going to get into details, but we're not godly. We're living together, and I wait for my girlfriend to get home from her job. I'm like, hey, baby, uh, so you got a Bible? <laughs> <laughs> you could just imagine the Stops look on her, her face. Tracks. right? This teenage girl that I'm shacked up with, like, a Bible? Why would I have a Bible? I'm like, uh, just humor me, and I just need to see something in the Bible. She's like, no, I don't have a Bible. Why, do I have a, why would I have a Bible? And I'm like, I just, I just need a Bible. She goes, well, you know that box in the closet. You know, I went to a youth, a Lutheran uh, church camp one time because there was a cute boy there, and you know, I think they gave me a Bible. And I'm like, well, that'll do. So I went down and dug around this box and I found this old, you know, at this point, it was probably a six, seven, eight, nine year old Bible. It hadn't even been opened. I literally opened the Bible and went, because the spine was cracking. And I'm like, that'll do. Yeah. So I got this Bible out and I was going to prove that this preacher had to be manipulating scripture. Yeah. He was going to be the next one that was going to take my mom into the next cult and I was going to rescue my mom from the next cult leader. Wow. I'm like, he's going to be misusing the scriptures just like all these preachers do. 
And so I open up this Bible, and then I put this guy back on his tape recorder on the top of my desk with my six double D batteries, because that's how <laughs> we, has to, we had to do it back in our day. And I hit play. And I'm like, all right, buddy, I got my Bible now, so you can I'm preach fact it. Check that's you. right, that's right. Total fact check. This is before Facebook fact check, and I was going to Steve Castle fact check this guy. <laughs> the original. And so he started preaching, and he goes, okay, so turn to whatever. And so I pause on the tape, and I get my Bible, and I go to the scriptures. I'm like, all right, buddy. And I pre read all the scriptures, so I'm like, oh, I'm ready for you. You go ahead and lie all you want. And I hit play, and he spoke it true. Wow. And I had read the Bible, like I said, I lost track of the number of times I read the Bible. And those verses were not in the Bible when I read it. Mm. This just tells you how much you can see and not see at the same time. Jesus yeah. said one thing to all seven churches in the book of Revelation. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. He wasn't saying that nobody in those churches were missing the mud flaps on the side of their heads. He was saying that there's a way to hear and there's a way to hear. And he wants us to hear mm. by the heart. Mm. And I heard by the heart the words that that preacher was saying. Went back up my car and I drove a lot in that time of my life. And so I was driving back and forth to all my jobs. And these tapes, I just kept listening and listening and listening and hearing about this God of Hasid, this covenant God who loved me, who accepted me by grace, who didn't want to sin me, who didn't want to wrath me, who didn't want to destroy me. And I was actually being convinced that this was true. And at the end of this adventure, I'm, I'm literally one day away from having to do laundry. I am like flipping underwear and we, it is time. I have got to go see mom and do laundry. I can't go any longer. And I'm listening to this tape and I'm driving down the road and I'll never forget it. I was headed north on Baileyville Blacktop, about three miles outside of Fort and headed towards Freeport, Illinois in my 1978 Olds Delta 88, me and Thelma. And this guy's preaching, and I'm done. I'm mad. I'm hopeful. I'm I'm upset. I feel like I've been conned. I feel like I could be being conned. I mean, I have like this turmoil, this chaos that's going on in my soul. What is true? Yeah. Kind of like, will the real God please show up? The God that I knew from a kid, or is it this God? Which is the real God? Who is the real God? And I don't, I don't encourage anybody to ever do this, but I pulled over on the side. I was shaking. I was so mad. Wow. I was shaking. And I pulled over on the side of the road, and I sat there, and I pointed my finger up to God in my, in the, in my driver's seat. And I said, I don't know who you are. I said, but if you're the guy that's on this tape, on these tapes, I'll follow you for the rest of my life because this is the God that I want to be around and have in my life. But I said, if you're not actually this God, then get the F out of my life. And I said it. And I pointed my finger. And I was waiting. I sat back in my, in my driver's seat. And I'm like, all right, it, the lightning bolt is yeah. on the way. Because you don't talk to God that no. way and not die. <laughs> not, not how I. And I was waiting. And Jesus got in my car. I don't know how to explain it. I didn't see him. I didn't feel. All I know is that from the top of my head, I it felt like, like warm honey, started to pour down over the top. And it wasn't outside. It was inside. I felt yeah. it from the inside. It was like warm honey that started at the top of my head. And I have no idea how long I sat on the side of Bailey Blacktop. It could have been hours, but 
after that warm honey went through every cell of my body, all the way down to my toes, the Steve Castle that drove home that day was not the Steve Castle that, that pulled over on the side of the road that day. I was a new creation in Christ Jesus. He washed me from everything and showed me who the real God was, which created a whole nother dynamic of problems because I'm shacked up with my girlfriend. Mm. And she don't know nothing about what Steve <laughs> and Jesus just did in Thelma. So good thing was is that we both worked. I worked two full-time jobs. She had a full-time job. We barely even seen each other. And so the next time I seen her, I'm like, hey, uh, Sue, what do you think about listening to this tape set? And she's like, why in the world would I listen to a tape set? You know, we're both 97 WZOK, Rockford, Illinois, rock, rock in the house with, with WZOK. And and she's like, why would I listen to a tape set? And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, just do it for me. What? Well, okay, fine. What's the tape set about? I'm like, well, it's a, it's a preacher. <laughs> it's a what? It's a preacher. Why would I listen to a preacher? I'm like, baby, just, just for me. Like, I don't ask you to do anything, but just listen to this preacher. And she's like, fine, whatever, weirdo. I'll listen to your preacher. And we lived in Freeport, and she worked in Rockford, so she had an hour drive to work and an hour drive home. Mm. And she listened to that tape set like five times. Wow. And she came back. It was the first time that we seen each other. And she came back, and she's like, is this for real? I'm like, I know, right? I'm like, that's why I needed your Bible. I had to prove that this guy wasn't lying. She goes, this is really who God is, and this is really what God's like? And I'm like, baby, I went and looked up all the verses. They're in there. This is really who God is. She goes, well, man, what am I supposed to do? I said, well, let me tell you what I did. And I told her about my prayer. She goes, well, I ain't cussing God. I'm like, I wouldn't (laughs) encourage you to cuss God. I'm just telling you what I did. And she's like, okay, I need to do that because I need to meet this God. And so we held hands in our little itty-bitty terrible apartment and we bowed our heads and prayed the most terrible ever sinner's prayer ever that mm. she'd prayed. But it was authentic. It was from the heart. It was yeah. real and it was raw. And Jesus showed up for my wife, well, my girlfriend, the same way he showed up for me. That's incredible. Long story short, two weeks later, we eloped. Nobody would understand why these two jacked up kids that were all in for Satan wanted to be married in a covenant. That is incredible. So we had to elope. It was just us and Jesus. We eloped, got married two years later, got, um, got, had an official wedding. And two months later went to Bible college because Steve Castle was going to be a preacher because I believe that that's what God birthed me to be in the first place. So that's my journey. That's my story. That is, wow. The way God showed up for you. And I also, I, I wanted to point out when, you know, you were, you were like, dead set on like proving this preacher wrong and your whole mindset was like i'm going to rescue my mother this is like i'm going to be able to like save the day and you know take her out of this cult and you were just you were met with god and in my in my attempts to prove god wrong i god is not scared of our questions no you know the name israel that god gave to jacob that the nation of Israel is named after the name Israel means he's who wrestles with God. Yeah. And we're in the church and in the new covenant, we're the new Israel. So we are the new ones that wrestle with God. And I don't believe we wrestle like Israel, the nation wrestled, we wrestle differently, but you know, in 
in Isaiah chapter 1, God says, hey, come, let us reason together. And specifically, what are we going to reason about? You know, though your sins were red as scarlet, I'm going to make them white as snow. But God is not scared of our of our reasoning with him, our mental wrestlings with him. He's not scared of our questions. He's not scared uh, about our failures. In fact, I would say that God, who is a father, would much prefer for us to be real and raw with him Amen. than what we have now. You know, now we have a social media a society where basically you can hide behind a glowing screen or a Facebook profile picture and everybody thinks you're that thing. Right. You could make all the posts. A I mean, curated I life. Yep. I can't tell you how many people I know that all their posts say I'm a Christian and I know the people. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing in your life that actually verifies that you have saving faith. But your posts. Mm. I can tell you that your posts are fake. These are the kind of people that Jesus would come to and he said you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not the things which I say. You know, you can say Jesus is Lord, Lord on, on Facebook, but do you do the things that he says? It, is, it has become the norm mm-hmm. to have basically two faces. Yeah, It's the face that faces outward that everybody sees, the social media, the digital face. And then it's the face that you see in the mirror, the real one, the authentic one. And Jesus is after the real one. You get the real one, it will change the outside. You change the root, you'll change the fruit. But far too often in our world today, we want to go to the apple tree and say, I don't want apples anymore, I want bananas. And so then we attack the tree, and we pull all the apples off, and we cut branches, and we cuss at it, and we kick it, and we scream at it, and we buy it self-help books, and we do all the stuff. But we never really do the authentic thing, which is pull the tree out and plant a banana seed to actually grow another tree. So then we get frustrated when six months later, our tree grows apples again. That's the average Christian experience. Every six months they get a new batch of apples and they get super mad at themselves. Why am I still making apples? Mm. Because they never did the authentic thing of pulling out the roots and changing the roots, which organically and naturally will change the fruit. Wow, that's a great analogy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep, so you can be a banana. (laughs) (laughs) Your story reminds me of the New Testament and how you had the pharisaical legalism that shot people down and made God unaccessible and angry and harmful to come to. But then you have Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, that actually comes to the people. He goes to the tax collectors. He goes to the prostitutes. And he shows them the accessibility of God and that he's actually more accessible to the sinners than to the the righteous people that need no repentance. So I just love everything that you said about your story. I could listen to you talk for hours (laughs) and hours. The, uh, The... The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the image of God. In Mm -hmm. fact, he said, I don't even say anything unless I hear my father say it. So he he literally defaulted that I am the express image of the father, Hebrews chapter Mm 1. And so Jesus, just like his father, the only people that ever drew uh, rampant and virile rebuke were the hypocrites. Mm Mm-hmm. If you, were a, if you were an adulterer, literally still dripping with the sin of your night before, 
and you were thrown at his feet like a prostitute, he protected you from the accusers. But if you were a self-righteous hypocrite and you came up to try to challenge him about his scriptural prowess, Mm -hmm. Lord, the scriptures say that we can get divorced. Moses said we can get divorced for any reason. He's like, he only have that because of the hardness of your heart. He just, wham, he would call him out. You, you brood of vipers, you, you sepulchers him. full of dead men's bone. And, and yeah, whitewashed, which just so you know, culturally, that doesn't mean like they put paint on it. A whitewashed wall in their culture was the wall where all the men visited to relieve themselves. So that's what he was calling them. And that that was who drew, and if you look at the Old Testament, it was the exact same way. When you're going through Jeremiah, the the weeping prophet, when you're going through uh, all of the all of the things that Isaiah was saying, you're like this people and 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 Zechariah, all all of those rebukes, those those very uh, uh, irate rebukes from God, it was over their hypocrisy. It was over them thinking they had it all figured out. Look at us. We're we're doing good. We we got our own version of church, right? You got to be happy about this God. And he's like, take your sacrifices away from me. Your your sacrifices are a stench in my nostril because your heart is not trained. And this is exactly what's going on in America today. We have churchianity and we do not have Christianity. And I think that a lot of what we do is just a stench to the to God, even though we're offering sacrifices. We're yeah. giving big checks. Yeah. We're doing good stuff in the name of the Lord. We're starting organizations, starting missions, and doing all. But yeah, but then all of the destructed people that are laid in the pathways of us building all these things, we have completely lost track of the heart of God, which is for the people. Can I ask you to um, kind of define what you mean by churchianity? Do you mean like the community that accompanies church or the lack of community that accompanies the average church? Um, I guess I'll just, I'll analogize it. And I can say that you would be, you could walk into nearly any church, most churches today. Yeah. And if you're dressed pretty well and you have a pretty decent tithe check and your wife doesn't have a black eye, you're pretty much going to be an elder if you stick it out. And, and I'm not, you know, like I is a pastor. So I, I'm not picking on pastors, but I would say that if anybody can pick on a pastor, it should be a pastor. And I can, I can tell you that um, the authentic, intimate, raw version of what the, the first church looked like, people doing life together, People sitting at each other's dinner tables yeah. every night, wow. breaking bread together. People giving of the, of, of even their own necessities, so someone else can have necessity. I'll, I can guarantee you that there's a there is somebody out there listening to this that's been a Christian for 20, 30 years, been in the same church for 10, 15 years, and there are people in their church that they don't know their last names. Mm-hmm. They, they, they wouldn't know the first thing about their lives. And if you go, if you're supposedly doing community with someone for 10 years and you don't know who they are, then you do not have the authentic Christian community. That's why it's churchianity. We basically are a lion's club in Jesus name. Mm-hmm. We're doing good stuff. You're doing the community loves us. Hey, thanks for building the new park lion's club. You're awesome. Thanks for the food pantry church. You're awesome. We love you. Glad you're here. 
but we are not doing what Jesus intended for us to do, we, and we are not being what Jesus died for us to be, which was a sold-out covenant, sacred, holy living, doing life together community. Mm-hmm. And you just don't let people invade your stuff. Yeah. We have, and, and I'm not trying to tout on me, so please, I'm, I'm, I'm an incredibly humbled to be in any way used by God. So please don't take this as me like bragging on me. But we have two different people living in our house right now. Wow. And, and we're honored to do it. We're blessed to do it. And that they get to see a, a healthy Christian marriage. And they get to see people doing life. And they're going to watch us in our, in our real environment, in the raw. You know, churchianity to me is like a zoo. I'm going to go see the lion at the Love zoo. It's not a lion. It's a captured animal. Wow. Yeah, Who knows exactly what he needs to do to get the next chunk of meat. And he's going to play the game and he's going to live and die in his zoo. And nobody has ever actually seen a lion. But if you go to Africa, which I've been there many times, I love going to Africa. If you go to Africa and you go out there in the wild, in the bush, and you see a lion, that lion is not the same lion as at the zoo in Chicago. They are two very different lions. The lion, the, the church that we have today in American is the American churchianity. It's the version that fits the best into our super awesome lifestyle, our self-centered lifestyle. So it's all about display. It's all about the perfect family. It's all about, you know, the perfect um, representation of the Christian faith and it's all just a front. Which, which, which all those things are good. You know, we should have a group of people that are committed to the family and committed to their marriages and committed to their children and committed to righteous living and, and holy living. And that's just genuine Christianity, it, it though. It should be. It should be the authentic outflow of what a genuine changed person should look like. The, the part that's missing is the fact that we are not, you know, weeping with those that weep, rejoicing with those that rejoicing that we are happily giving up the spoiling of our goods, like it says in Hebrews 10, because someone else is suffering, that we actually know what's going on in our in our neighbor's life. Do you know what's going on in your pastor's life, mm-hmm. let alone, I mean, your neighbor? And we, we are not deeply engaged. We are not a covenantal community, a sacred community of believers. We are not a nation of God together as one people. We're just a bunch of scattered folks that get together on Sunday morning and check the box for the sermonette, you know, 50 minutes in and out. And, you know, and I did it and I'm in good stead with God that we forgot that the context of the gospel is not about you. Mm. That's right. Which churchianity is all about you. Come here. You get blessed. You get healthy. You get your marriage better. You get your finances better. You get all these things better because Jesus loves you so much. He wants you better. And there's a truth there. But if that's the only truth, then you're really, truly missing the gospel because the real truth is healthy people make healthy people. Healed people heal people. Angry people make angry people. Hurt people hurt people. The church, the context of the church is that you should be blessed to be a blessing, just like God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. That conjunction is very important. Same thing in Christianity. I'm going to save you so you can save others. 
I'm going to rescue you so you can rescue others. And we forgot the and in our churches today. Like, I'm going to church to get me fixed. Mm. And when I'm fixed, then everything will be great. And damn the world. Who cares how they're doing? Who cares about this next generation? They're, they can't figure out what bathroom to go into. Who cares? Right. Let's just go on and do our own thing. We have forgotten the context that God so loved the world that he left heaven. He left the perfect. He left all the people that were right. All the angels were right. God was right. The Holy Spirit was right. He left all of that to go to the dark, hurting place in the universe and become just like us so that he could rescue us from where we were at. Our churches don't have that same thing going on. And then training us how to do this life in such a way that it literally has impact in people's lives. Mm. Literally has impact. If you could be removed from your circle of, of relationships and it wouldn't affect that circle, right? then we're not living the Christ life. If, if, uh, if the Holy Spirit could be pulled out of your life at midnight tonight and you could wake up tomorrow and do the exact same way you were doing life the day before, then really the Holy Spirit is not a part of our lives. That's the real version of ecclesia that Jesus intended for us to live in. And that's what the government wanted to take down in the shutdown. There's only one thing that scares the devil. It's a bunch of Jesus people. Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the ecclesia. It didn't say the gates of hell won't prevail against a super awesome spirit-filled Christian, against against a charisma magazine against the awesome uh youtube ministry of preacher so-and-so right. the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the ecclesia and that's actually an offensive statement we're supposed to be charging the gates of hell right. and the average christian is waiting in their corner sucking their thumb hoping that superman will fly in and save them like lois lane right. that is not the version of the church that jesus had well, you just put a perfect segue into part two. 2020, what <laughs> happened? How did your church react? What What did you do as a pastor? How did you lead the charge as a shepherd? With that being said, let us firmly rely upon the protection of divine providence. As Jesus says in Luke 5, 31 and 32, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is self-evident.